again, everyone. I'm Matt Lachlan. Welcome to Pirates Talk. Let the madness begin. The Big East Tournament gets underway on Wednesday with four games on the slate, including Seton Hall's opening round matchup against Georgetown. The Pirates, as you know, won their last five regular season games to finish at 20-9 overall, 11-8 in the Big East. After defeating Creighton on Saturday afternoon, the Hall was hoping for a St. John's win later that night against Marquette, which would have given the Pirates the fifth seed and an opening round bye in the conference tournament. Alas, that wish did not come true, and the Pirates are seeded sixth and have that date with Georgetown. A fifth seed would have placed Seton Hall in the top half of the bracket with top-seeded Providence. Instead, the Hall is in the bottom half of the bracket, meaning that if they beat Georgetown, third-seeded Connecticut awaits, and if they beat the Huskies, they face a potential matchup with second-seeded Villanova in the semifinals. A true Big East gauntlet on the way to the championship game on Saturday. But first things first, survive and advance. My guest this week is well-known to Seton Hall and college basketball fans. Adam Zagoria covers the team for NJ.com, but is also a contributing writer to the New York Times. In 2008, he founded ZagsBlog.com, a must-read for all Hoops fans. He also covers men's and women's tennis for Forbes.com. He's here to give us the 411 on the 2022 Big East Tournament on Pirates Talk. Adam, thanks very much for giving me some time. I know this is a very busy period with the Big East Tournament on the horizon, plus all the other things that you've got on your schedule. So I appreciate your carving some time out for Pirates Talk. Thanks very much. Thanks for having me, Matt. Great to be with you. No, really looking forward to the conversation. I know the listeners are as well. So as we record this, it is Monday morning. The Big East Tournament is set. Things kick off on Wednesday. Many people say this is as wide open as it's been. What's your take on what we might see from Wednesday through Saturday? Yeah, I agree that it is a wide open tournament. I mean, look, Providence was picked seventh in the Big East, and you know they won their regular season. I don't think anybody saw that coming. Uh, Marquette, I believe, was picked ninth, and they are the five seed under Shaka Smart. So, um, you know, it's been a, it's been kind of a wide open, surprising season. Um, you know, I do think that one side of the bracket, the bottom side that has, you know, Seton Hall, Villanova and UConn, uh, is pretty loaded. And it's obviously a tough ask for, for the pirates to have to try to win four games in four days. It starts nine 30 on Wednesday night for Seton Hall when they open up against Georgetown and you're right, so many Seton Hall fans were cheering for St. John's over the weekend in their game yeah. against Marquette, yeah. <laughs> maybe for the first time ever, but it would have benefited Seton Hall. Although, listen, you just you play who's on your schedule, I get it, but it would right. have moved them into that Providence side of the bracket, which on the face of it looks easy, but who knows, right? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, some people think, you know, Marquette is a team on that top side of the bracket that could, you know, kind of pull a Georgetown from last year and win win four games in four days, man, I guess they don't have to do that, but you know, three games in three days and, and surprise some people. Um, yeah, it would have been nice obviously for Seton Hall. If, if St. John's had won that game, because, uh, you know, you got to think they'll beat Georgetown Wednesday night, but then, you know, you got to come back and play the second night in a row to, to beat UConn, which is tough. And then if they win that, you know, then you're playing three games in three days against Villanova and, you know, it's just a lot to ask of these guys physically to play so many games. Well, there's no question about it. Although they've won five in a row. So what is the state of Seton Hall basketball as they enter the tournament in your mind's eye? 
Well, look, I think big picture, um, you got to give Kevin Willard credit. I mean, this is his sixth 20 win season. He's going to be going to the tournament for, I believe, a fifth time. You know, it would have been six if it wasn't for the pandemic. Um, you know, I think he's, he's very well respected as a head coach. And obviously this year, look, you know, losing Bryce Aiken, you know, Matt, you know, you and I are at, at all the games, you know, that was a huge loss for them. Um, Bryce was a real kind of closer who could, you know, take over the game at the end of, end of games with his three point shooting and his passing and his dribble penetration. Um, you know, it's a tough deal for him and for Seton Hall to, to lose him. And then I'll tell you, it was a scary moment the other day when Kadari Richmond hurt his thumb, um, you know, in that last game against Creighton. It sounds like he's going to be okay. Kevin Willard said he expects him back this week. But, you know, boy, if they had lost Kadari and Bryce, you know, that really would have been tough. So hopefully Kadari is um, healthy and ready to go on Wednesday. And, you know, Jameer Harris has done a, a phenomenal job. He's effectively the third string um, point guard and, and he's really played well you know they've won five in a row Jared Roden is playing like the Jared Roden we all have come to know and expect and, and he was named uh, first team all Big East uh, <clears throat> on Sunday so you know they got a lot of thing, good things going for them and, and hopefully Kadari is, is fully healthy. What do you make of the middle stretch of the season for Jared Roden and you know he was in such a funk he couldn't hit a shot it seemed that counted and now he's the man again. Yeah, I mean, I I believe he had COVID. I believe Kevin is kind of on record saying, uh, if I'm not mistaken, that, that Jared battled COVID. Um, you know, obviously they had, you know, a COVID pause there and uh, whatever, you know, around the Christmas break that impacted the team. You know, they didn't have Tyrese Samuel and Ike Obiagu for a couple games. And really, you know, they lost those first two league games to Villanova and Providence close games despite not having their two big guys. Um, and I think Kevin, you know, would kind of like to have those two games back. I mean, you know, they ended up going 11 and eight in the league despite those two games. And, you know, who knows if you have your full roster there, you know, maybe you're 12 and seven or, or 13 and six, who knows? But um, look, Jared, I've, I've known him since high school. I've covered him since high school. He's a very driven, you know, motivated, focused young man. And he just seems to be, you know, fully back to, to being healthy after, uh, after his illness. I think we forget how much COVID can impact people because the general thought anymore seems to be, well, as long as you're vaccinated, and I'm not sure if he is or not, but uh, as long as you're vaccinated, it'll be just something simple. It's like the flu, a bad cold, and you'll advance. But there are people right. that get laid low by it. And you're talking about highly attuned uh, student athletes who yep. the cardio system, you know, is is at a fine peak and all of a sudden your lungs and heart might be affected somehow. E even if it's simply you can't practice for a while, uh, you know what? It knocks you on your keister, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, look, I had it early on. Everybody knows I've talked about it a million times. People are probably tired of hearing about it. You know, I had it in March of 2020 when it first started and it was really bad for me. Um, and it just, the thing we've come to, see is it it just impacts different people differently and there's really no way to know how any given person is going to be impacted by it you know Tyrese was you know back home in Canada for a couple of weeks and couldn't work out and you know he's a big part of their team too you know you're talking about a 610 guy who can shoot the three and and get up and down the court and you know he's a real x factor for this team if he can get back to 
playing at his top level, he's a real you know handful for opposing teams. We're, we want to talk mostly about the tournament in general, so I have just one last question about Seton Hall before we move on, and that is uh, they have basically clinched uh, an NCAA tournament bid with their 20th win. They end the season yeah. on that good note. So what are the implications for them of the Georgetown game, and then if they win that, moving on and advancing? How far off a certain line— and I think now people are saying they're seven, but some are still saying eight. How much off an NCAA tournament line can success in this Big East tournament have for them? Yeah, look, I think that's, you hit it right on the head there, Matt. I mean, you, I really think they want to get off that eight line if they can, right? Because you don't want to, you don't want to be the eight, nine game. And then if you win, you have to play a one seed. That's a real tough ask. You know, I've seen a bunch of brackets where they're the eight and could have to play like an Auburn in the, second round or in Arizona in the second round. Um, and, you know, Kevin year after year talks about how important seeding is. And that one year they had to play Gonzaga in the, in the first round, I think out in Denver. Um, so, you know, obviously their, their chances of being like a five or six seed, like they were when they got off to a nine and one start, that's kind of out the window, but yeah, if you can, you got to take care of business against Georgetown. And then if you can beat, you know, UConn and, and make a little run, then maybe you can work your way up to, you know, seven, a six, something like that. And then you're really helping yourself out. No question. So the games do mean something, uh, you know, even though the ultimate goal getting into the tournament has already been assured for Seton Hall. All right. So uh, in a 30,000 foot view, you talked a little bit about maybe Marquette having that magic that Georgetown had last year, uh, winning three straight and getting in, although Georgetown was four, uh, and, and and winning the championship. What do you think? Uh, who are the teams to watch as this tournament gets ready to kick off 430 Wednesday afternoon? Yeah, look, if you're a Seton Hall fan, you got to bring your coffee and your, your Red Bulls. <laughs> I'm going to have to get a load up on the Red Bulls this week, Matt. You know, you're going to have a, at least one 930 game on Wednesday and then a possible second 930 game Thursday. So it's, you know, it's going to be a late night for the Pirates and their fans. Um, look, I mean, Providence and Villanova, you know, are the top two seeds for a reason. They had two, you know, epic battles during the year. Uh, would it shock me if we see Providence Villanova part three on Saturday night at the Garden? No. Um, you know, but look, you know, Villanova has dominated this league for, for many years under Jay Wright, obviously Seton Hall won the biggest tournament in 2016 over them, but, um, you know, Villanova is always really tough this time of year. They've won two national championships under Jay Wright. I think you have to start talking about them. Um, you know, they could get St. John's in the quarters on, uh, Thursday, which, you know, the Johnnies would be playing on their home court. Presumably they'd have some momentum, but, um, you know, then you could get a, a Villanova UConn or maybe a Villanova Seton Hall semifinal, which would be really tasty on Friday. Um, you know, UConn's a team that look under Dan Hurley, they got a lot of weapons there. Adama Sinogo and, uh, RJ Cole both played their high school ball in Jersey. We're both first team, all big East guys. So, Whoever is in that semifinal on the bottom half of the bracket Friday night, you know, presumably Villanova against either, you know, you would think UConn or Seton Hall, that's going to be a, a blockbuster game. Um, and then I think Marquette's got a, a chance there to make a run in the top half of the bracket, but 
you know, you got to like Providence and, and Ed Cooley there. Uh, he has just played all year long, his team at an exceedingly high level and a little pixie dust has been sprinkled on the Friars, no question, but it's been it's been good to see as they won the Big East tournament. Yeah, I mean, we, we should, a Big we East should point season. out, you know, we should just point out, Matt, about Providence. I mean, people are kind of joking all season that they've been lucky and, you know, it's obvious that they're good, not lucky, but they did have a COVID pause and they got out of playing, you know, games at Seton Hall and at UConn. So they've, they have uh, benefited from the schedule. And no question about that. And uh, that may in the end be a, a shown in a semifinal or championship matchup if they get there, that in fact, there's another team that's a little better than them. But again, hey, tip of the cap to what Ed Cooley's done there. Hey, just looking at some of the bottom teams in in the conference, like, and we're going to talk about the story that you wrote uh, that was in today's New York Times. You, you contribute stories uh, to the Times, and, and the one is about Patrick Ewing and Georgetown. But what about DePaul? What's your take on what happened in DePaul this year? Because it looks like, my goodness, that was such a dead-end street, but there's some light at the end of that tunnel, isn't there? Yeah, I'll tell you, you got to give, I mean, Ed, Ed Cooley's going to be, you know, the Big East coach of the year, and and Shaka Smart um, has done a phenomenal job at Marquette. But you really got to give Tony Stubblefield at DePaul um, his props. I mean, I, I didn't see this coming. You know, DePaul's been kind of the doormat of the league for so long. Um, Tony Stubblefield, you know, spent a lot of years. Uh, he was an assistant at Cincinnati under Mick Cronin, then at Oregon under Dana Altman. Um, you know, Javon Freeman Liberty's a, a heck of a player. Uh, you know, one of the, the biggest scorers in the Big East. He's got it going with recruiting now. They just got this kid, Zion Cruz, who's a four-star kid from New Jersey um, who committed to DePaul you know, whatever it was two weeks ago. So, um, you know, I think it's good. It's good for the big East when, you know, the Chicago team, DePaul does well. And, um, you know, they, they Seton Hall barely beat them, you know, by a couple points at that game. I think you and I were at a week ago or whatever. So, mm -hmm. you know, they could, uh, you know, they, they could beat somebody. Yeah. They, the, the, it's just been fun to see. I agree with you. Look, uh, there's always going to be a team that's last in the league. There's always going to be a team that's first. Obviously, every year is an adventure. But I, I like it when some of the teams that have ha a history, although it's been a long time since DePaul's had a buffed up history, but I like yeah. it. I like it that, that that they're back because it makes the league better. It makes college basketball better. So, uh, you know, hopefully. I, mean, I guess they're in that 7-10 game with St. John's, St. John's, right? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, that's a, that's kind of a game for St. John's where, you know, you, you really have to win that game, not just because it's, it's your home floor and it's, it's the garden, and it's the big East, but you know, their fans are, if their season ends with them losing to DePaul, that's, that's not going to go over well. No, not at all. And, and I know they had high expectations. Any, any rumblings that you're hearing about Mike Anderson? Is, is he okay for another year? You know, I've had, had people ask me that I, I would think so. I mean, it's definitely been disappointing and, you know, look, if you read our friend, you know, Zach, Braziller who covers St. John's in the post. I mean, he's, you know, he's been tough on them all year and, and deservedly so, right. They were picked fourth in the league. Um, you know, they're the seven seed. They really don't have any, you know, real significant, impressive wins of note. Um, and they have the talent. I mean, they're going to lose, you know, Julian Champagne after this year to the NBA, they're going to lose a bunch of the older guys. Um, you know, and it's, it's one thing to kind of recruit and, uh, have the talent, but you got to go out and win the games. And, and, you know, they haven't done that. 
No, they haven't. And uh, that fan base is very demanding. And uh, I'm sure the ground under Coach Anderson is a little shaky at this point. So about the story that you wrote uh, for today's edition of the New York Times, uh, there are still some of us who subscribe to the paper, uh, although I read it online. Uh, It's about Georgetown. And it's hard to fathom that they lost their last 20 and went 0-19 in the Big East. Patrick Ewing's under fire. His AD gave him a vote of confidence last week. He came out and said, anything about my future, you will hear from me or the university. What do you make of what's gone on in this year and in Patrick's tenure as head coach at his alma mater? Yeah, well, thanks for giving the story a plug. It, it'll be in the print section of the Times tomorrow. Um, look, it's it's awfully hard to go winless in a major, you know, conference in college basketball. I mean, before this year, DePaul and Miami had both gone 0 and 18 and Georgetown is now at 0 and 19. And, you know, they could have been 0 and 20, but they had a game with Xavier canceled by, uh, you know, COVID stuff. So to go 0 and 19 and to lose 20 straight games is really something, um, you know, I, I get into a couple of different parts of the story in the, in the article. I mean, I think my sense is that the Georgetown officials are just kind of giving Patrick a pass this year. You know, he did win the Big East tournament a year ago, winning four games in four days. I think they're giving him a pass and, you know, with the, with the expectation that he's going to have to turn things around next year. Now, whether he's going to have to change his coaching staff at all, or at least change his coaching style, you know, that hasn't really been uh, clarified, but something's got to change. Um, you know, they did lose, I think like their four top scorers from last year's team. So they, they lost a lot of guys. They had guys transfer out, um, Kudis Wahab, the big guy left for Maryland, you know, a couple of years ago, they had James Akinjo. He left, he's now starring at Baylor. I think Georgetown has lost 11 transfers since, um, you know, Patrick has been there. So that begs some questions about the culture. You know, they had some, you know, unforeseen things this year. This kid, Jordan Riley from Long Island, a, you know, a freshman might have helped them a little bit. He got hurt. Um, Trey King had to transfer out of there. So, you know, they just don't have the depth to really compete. And, uh, you know, they, they just they lost so much from from last year. And, and over the years, they've they've lost a lot of transfers. Now, whether Patrick can coach, you know, I don't think we've really seen that. I mean, he's under, he's about 20 games under 500 as a, as a coach at Georgetown. He did have the one run last year. Um, it's kind of like the Chris Mullen thing, Matt, right? Like Chris mm-hmm. Mullen was heralded, you know, he and he and Patrick dominated the big East in the eighties. When, when I was growing up as players, um, they were the face of the big East. They both got their teams to the final four in 1985, along with Villanova. And the St. John's fans thought Patrick uh, thought Chris Mullen was going to, you know, instantly turn the program around. And, you know, let's face it, he, he was a failure. And now it, it certainly appears that, you know, outside of last year, Patrick is is going down the same path. You would know better than me, but I, I think if you just can enlighten the listeners. So you have these two all time greats who are iconic figures at their respective schools, Hall of Famers, top all timers in the sport of basketball. But you know what? I I don't know if that means anything 
to a 16-year-old kid that they're recruiting? To their parents? Absolutely. Is that Patrick Ewing that's just walked into my uh, uh, into my house to talk right, to my right. kid? For sure. And same thing with Chris Mullen. And the amount of work that these guys have to put in on the college level, constantly recruiting, uh, constantly coaching up, working with the alumni. I just wonder if a Chris Mullen and a Patrick Ewing realized, you know, the amount of work that uh, Luke Carnesecca and, uh, you know, et cetera, put in, you know, in big job. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a great point, Matt. And it's, you know, it's kind of the same thing with Eddie Jordan at Rutgers. Yeah, another one. You know, he was brought in to kind of stabilize the situation after the Mike Rice deal. And it just seemed like from day one, Eddie Jordan was just kind of overwhelmed by, you know, the recruiting responsibilities. And, you know, you're really like the CEO of a major company when you're a uh, division one college basketball coach. There's a lot you're responsible for, you know, even as I'm not I'm not saying NBA coaches don't don't have to work hard. But, you know, those guys are pros. The players get paid. They go home after the game. You're not responsible for what they do. You're a college coach. You know, you're responsible for these kids 24-7. Something bad happens, something, you know, an unfortunate incident. You know, you, you're responsible. It happens on your watch. Um, and, and you have to recruit. I mean, now Patrick did have a top 20 recruiting class this year. They got the kid Aminu Muhammad, mm-hmm. who's, you know, one of the top freshmen in the league. Um, you know, and, you know, let's face it. One big question will be whether he comes back next year, right? I mean. Um, you know, I haven't heard anything, but I'm sure there are people, you know, whispering in his ear, hey, you know, you could transfer to a Kentucky or wherever and play on a bigger stage. So, you know, I would say that the, the main priority for Patrick, you know, in the offseason, you know, assuming he comes back is you got to keep uh, Aminu Muhammad and, and the players you have in the fold. And because as you mentioned in the article, again, it'll be in the print edition of the Times on Tuesday. It's online today, Monday. 11 players, that's a lot. I know the transfer portal makes it a lot easier. It's so much easier to move now than it's ever been. But 11's a lot. And that says something about what's going on. So uh, there'll have to be some mirrors hung in the coach's office at Georgetown as Patrick Ewing tries to turn things around. Last couple, Adam, and we'll let you go. So who wins the Big East? Man, I mean, I know I... You know, I know I get paid to cover Seton Hall, but, uh, you know, I, again, I think Villanova is the team to beat. Um, you know, I, I think UConn's got a chance and, you know, you can't count out the Friars, but, you know, gun to my head, I'll say Villanova. And there's a good reason uh, they've got uh, Colin Gillespie leading the way and Jay Wright's magnificent on the, on the bench. Big picture yeah. NCAA tournament. Who's cutting down the nets early in April? You know, I, I think this year is a little different from last year. When I, Last year was obviously a two-horse race with Baylor and Gonzaga. I think there's, you know, eight or ten teams right now that could win the whole thing. You know, I still think Gonzaga um, is the team to beat. You know, they're obviously not undefeated, but there aren't a lot of elite point guards, Matt, you know, nationally. And, you know, you need guards to win in the tournament. And, you know, Andrew Nemhard of, of Gonzaga is uh, – you know, as good a, a high level point guard as there is out there, you know, a guy like Colin Gillespie of Villanova, all, another great point guard. So, you know, I'll take, I'll take Gonzaga, you know, they got Drew Timmy and, and Chet Holmgren there in the front court, you know, they average, I think about 90 points a game. So you just have a chance to beat them. You're going to have to score, you know, 85 or 90 or, or really hold them down. But, you know, obviously teams like Duke, it's coach K's last year, 
Kentucky's got a great team, you know, Purdue, Auburn, Arizona, you know, there's a bunch of teams and, and it should be really interesting. That's why they call it March Madness. You never know. There are a lot of great stories out there. We'll see who's crowned king when the tournament comes to an end. This is the last one. You you cover so much about basketball. You say, yes, and for NJ.com, you're covering Seton Hall, but you cover the recruiting scene. Uh, you're a contributor uh, for the New York Times, so you cover the national scene. What do you like about this? What do you like about college basketball? Yeah, um, it's fun. That's, you know, thanks for asking that, Matt. Um, you know, I started out kind of covering high school basketball at Papers in New Jersey, and that just sort of led to me, you know, covering a lot of the recruiting and college. And um, I've just always thought in basketball, you know, two or three players can really change a team. It's not, it's not like football where you have whatever, 50, 60 guys on a team and there's so much to keep track of. Um, you know, a team's fortunes in basketball, whether it's high school, college, or the NBA can really rise and fall with, you know, a couple of key players. You know, there's so many fascinating characters in, in basketball and the, you know, the underworld of basketball. I covered the whole FBI trials for, you know, a couple papers and, um, you know, you just meet a lot of interesting people through the years. And, uh, you know, they say, if you don't, uh, if you like what you do, then you don't, you don't work a day in your life. And that's kind of how I feel. Well, it shows in your work. I appreciate your time on this show and look forward to your reporting, not only on Seton Hall, but also on the college basketball scene and the other work that you do in tennis, et cetera. Adam, thanks very much for your time. Thanks, Matt. Take care. And that will do it for this edition of Pirates Talk. Thanks to Adam Zagoria for his preview of the Big East Tournament. I can't wait for the opening tip on Wednesday between Butler and Xavier at 4.30 p.m. to get the festivities underway, with the Hall ending the opening day in a 9.30 p.m. start against Georgetown. It is a great time of the year. And congratulations to women's head coach Tony Bazella and his Seton Hall Pirates for advancing to the Big East Tournament semifinals, where they lost to Villanova. After a rough start to the season, the team put it all together and played great basketball down the stretch. Now they await their NCAA fate. Hopefully, a bid is in the offing. They certainly deserve a women's NIT bid, so there will be more basketball for the women this season. Pirates Talk is available wherever you subscribe to podcasts. I invite you to rate the show, leave a comment. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks, as always, to Pat Christensen, the sound engineer of the program and the writer and performer of the Pirates Talk theme. And thanks to you for your company. It's very much appreciated. I'm Matt Lachlan. Until next time, be safe, be well, and let's go Pirates! Pirates!